Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 31st. How fun was that? The headline on day three of the 2022 U.S. Open is the fact that the perhaps final campaign in New York of Serena Williams continued. The greatest women's tennis player of all time was simply phenomenal in a three-set victory over number two seed Annette Conteve. Now, was it the best tennis Serena Williams has ever played in her career? It was not. That said, the scene of the match to have 25,000 plus people screaming after every point to have Serena fight back after dropping the second set in the fashion that she did come out guns blazing in set number three and sustain that aggressive tennis through the finish line. It was spectacular and gives us plenty of ammunition for discussion here on today's show. Of course, there were 32 singles matches to digest once again on day number three. What I want to do on this podcast is make life a little bit easier for all of you tennis fans. Talk about the most notable results on this opening day of second round play in New York, of course. We're going to start the show with a new segment called The Best Thing I Saw Today. Of course, that lead has to be Serena Williams' three-set victory, but I also want to get into who won and lost the day. In particular, Ludmilla Samsonova continues to be a winner. She earns her 12th straight victory, and if you didn't believe she was a contender to win the freaking title in New York, you certainly do now as she knocks off last year's finalist, Layla Fernandez. That was one of four upsets on the women's side today. You also had number three seed Maria Sakri knocked out by the talented Lefty Wang Shiyu and Wang Shiyu, one of a couple of Chinese tennis players who are just simply on the rise in professional tennis. I want to talk about why Chinese tennis in general is one of the biggest winners coming out of day three of this U.S. Open. But of course, it wasn't just the women stealing the headlines on day number three. You had some notable men's results on the day in particular. It is now impossible to deny the rise of 20-year-old Jack Draper, the young British lefty, his most significant victory to date. Yes, he beat Tsitsipas in Canada a few weeks ago, but he knocks out Felix Ogier-Aliassime, the number six seed, in a definitive 6-4-6-4-6-4 straight set victory. I want to talk once again, despite the fact that we've talked about him so frequently of late on this podcast, I want to talk once again for all of our new listeners, perhaps just joining us for this slam about what makes the 20-year-old lefty so special, why the two words tall lefty are always the best things to hear when talking about a young 
tennis prospect, but every aspect of Jack Draper's game is special. He showed them all off tonight against Felix. Of course, that was one of two upsets on the men's side. We'll talk about both of them. We'll get into more matches going the distance, more seeds surviving in the men's singles draw. Only, actually, not a single men's single seed. There's a mouthful for you. Not a single seed on the men's side won a match in straight sets today. Now, I believe you had, what, seven of your nine seeds. Medvedev still playing as I'm recording this podcast, though he's up a set on Arthur Rinder Kanesh, so he may snap this streak. But seven of the nine seeds that played today won their match, and all seven of them were forced to at least four sets on the day. So tough sledding for the seeds. I don't think anyone's looked particularly excellent. I'll explain why on today's show. But again, plenty of material for us on this podcast. And again, the plan run through the winners, the losers from day number three. Talk about all the day's notable results. Offer my favorite matches on day number four, of course, of day number four. Excuse me. Of course, if you're looking for an extensive preview of day four, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find the Great Shot podcast wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, crackrackets.com on that show. I offer my picks for each and every day's matches. I've also started to break down every match off for my 30-second takeaway, 30-second preview for all the matches on the day's slate. So if you're looking for preview content, the Great Shot Podcast presented by DraftKings is the place for you. Of course, shout out here to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support of our efforts. They understand the necessity of having a daily podcast to break down the many results that occur day in, day out, not only during slam weeks, but all the time in the tennis world. Of course, they provide the best equipment at the best prices. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. You get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point. Symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, the best thing I saw on day number three had to be Serena freaking Williams. Serena now, I believe, 39-0 in her career in round twos of Grand Slams. I'll get you the exact stat as we go through this podcast here. But for Serena, 7-6-2-6-6-2, she advances over the number two seed, Annette Conteve. And for Serena Williams, the match went exactly as it needed to go. You look for Serena, who in particular, set number one was just so efficient at holding serve throughout the course of the set. And that strength behind her first serve, which had to be the staple of her success, of course, Serena Williams' first serve, the greatest first serve in women's tennis history. It has been the foundation of everything she's accomplished throughout her career. She was exceptional with that first set throughout the course of the match. And, you know, in particular, you look for Serena out of the gates in set number one. She comes out and, you know, is able to hold serve through her first, what, four service games of the match. She breaks to go up 5-4. Unfortunately, she was broken there. Unfortunately, might not be the wrong word. Unfortunately for Serena Williams fans, I suppose she was broken uh, on that in that 5-4 service game. But why I say this match went so for, to script for Serena Williams is that she was the front runner from the start 
of this match and continue to be the front runner in the most critical moments. And that's what Serena Williams has to be at this point of her career, because we're all aware the soon to be 41 year old, she can't move like it's 2019, let alone 2012 or 1998. And so she has to be on her front foot. She has to be dictating from the center of the court. She was able to do that with so much success today against Annette Conteve. And as such, she was in front on the scoreboard. And when you're in front on the scoreboard, you're just able to be more aggressive as a returner. You're just able to be more definitive throughout the course of baseline rallies. You're able to move forward with more confidence that it's okay if I get past because I have a lead right now I'm protecting and I'm putting pressure on my opponent. Serena did all of that from the start to the finish of this match. And again, Yes, she was broken, serving for the set up 5-4, but Serena ultimately able to take the uh, first set 7-6. And look, credit to Annette Conteve, who came back swinging uh, in set number two, who would have been very easy for her to just fold. And by the way, I apologize, Serena Williams, 75-2 and two in second rounds now, 75-2 uh, overall in her career at the Slams, not 38, 75-2, maybe it was 30 no at the hard court slams because Serena Williams is two losses in second rounds. Both came at Roland Garros to Parankova in 2020, Garbine Muguruza in 2014. That's a ridiculous amount of excellence. Just another fun stat you throw on the board. And I saw, by the way, just another fun stat to throw at you before I forget. Serena Williams now trails only Roger Federer in terms of total wins in the open era at slam events. You look for Serena Williams. And I know I'm getting sidetracked, and I swear I'm going to get back to the match. You know this happens here on Solo Mini Break Podcasts. And again, I do promise I will have guests at some point in the very near future. I actually just booked my first guest who's coming on, I believe tomorrow's show, but Serena Williams now has 367 Grand Slam victories. The only player with more in singles, Roger Federer, who has 369. I mean, come on now. So the majority of players don't even get to 300 victories, let alone 367, let alone 367 at the majors. Just a remarkable amount of success, let alone the 75 round two wins Serena Williams has at the slams. Just ridiculous, but Credit to Annette Conteve, who came out swinging in set number two, who was a little bit more aggressive with her plus one ball, who, you know, again, you have 25,000 people yelling after every error and cheering for you to miss and so vehemently for your opponent. It's a, it's impossible for anyone to deal with. And certainly we saw Annette Conteve struggle to deal with that crowd that was openly against her because they wanted to see the greatest champion in the sports history continue her career. You can understand the sentiment of the crowd. You can also understand Conteve's struggles with them in the biggest moments of this match, in particular that first set tiebreak where she offered a couple of free errors. Serena served well, hit a couple of plus one unreturnables, and there's your 7-4 breaker. Conteve didn't allow Serena to dictate from the center. Conteve would rather miss in that second set than hit just a floater to Serena Williams and, you know, did a great job spreading the court and just played the match she needed to play. She takes that second set 6-2. You could tell Serena also not shy in conserving her energy after going down early in that second set. The key for Serena was breaking to start in set number three by going up that two-love lead. I know she seeded that break immediately back to Annette Conteve, but again, to put that pressure 
on Conteve from a scoreboard perspective to have the crowd just electric from the start of the third set. And they were going to try and carry Serena through that match no matter what. But to give them ammunition to get behind Serena, it was overwhelming. And you look for Serena Williams who secures the 5-2, you know, because Serena Williams faced some break points in set number two, uh, excuse me, in set number three and was serving up, you know, Goes up to love, gets broken for 2-1, breaks back for 3-1, holds for 4-1. Conteve holds easily for 2-4. This is a quick play-by-play for any of you who missed that third set. You fell asleep early or you had school the next day, whatever it may be. And if you're listening to this in school, good choice. Although, listen in class. Trust me, you'll value it more later in life. 2-4, Serena Williams goes up 40-love. And a couple of plus-one errors plus a good Conteve uh Good Conteve return that drew an error, and the game is back at deuce. And Serena Williams kind of teeters back and forth. Some game points evaporated. Conteve hits good returns. Serena hits a couple of errors. Serena Williams, though, gets a game point. It's a defensive point. You know, Conteve is able to play some offense, push Serena back. Serena hits a sky defensive backhand lob that drops just inside the baseline, pushes Conteve all the way back. What does Serena Williams do behind that offense? She sneaks into the net. She hits a swinging forehand volley winner. She secures the break for 5-2. You could see Conteve felt the match had slipped away on that changeover. And Serena, aggressive on a couple of returns. She hit the forehand cross-court return beautifully all match long. And... You know, Conteve, 17 of 41 on second serve points. She only made 59% of her first serves tonight. Part of that was clearly nerves going against the crowd. But Serena punished every look she got at a second serve, even when she ultimately missed those returns. It was a mentality. And Serena was at her best tonight. 38 winners against 40 unforced airs is about the best you can expect from a 40-year-old Serena Williams against the number two seed in the world. And I saw something crazy like she hasn't lost a match against a top two player since 2009, which is just another ludicrous thing on the list of ludicrous things Serena Williams has accomplished. But to see that relentless aggression, to see her competitive spirit, to see her stay so composed and so in control of that third set, even though it wasn't her best tennis, it was vintage Serena Williams, who advances to the third round of the U.S. Open. Obviously, she takes out the seed, and she has a very winnable match in round number three against Alia Tomjanovic. Tomjanovic, a counterpuncher, not going to generate the sort of pace that will make Serena consistently uncomfortable, doesn't have an overwhelming first serve to win free points with. I don't know how Serena Williams will be two days from now physically. Obviously, she'll play another night match. And boy, it's going to be a Friday night match in New York. Holy crap, is that going to be electric? Holy f*** is that ticket going to be expensive? Uh, But the big thing for Serena Williams, it's a very winnable match. And if she makes it to week two... You know, Krachikova knocked out Samson, a potential round four matchup with Samsonova, who would have the sort of weapons to hurt Serena, but she gets to week two. Now it's week two magic. Now, again, Samsonova's facing a crowd she's never seen before. Oh, boy. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. Serena Williams is coming. Of course, for Annette Conteve, look, the free ride is over. The rest of this season, she's got to defend an Ostrova title. She made Indian Wells quarterfinals. She won a Moscow title. She won a title in Romania. So three titles to defend. She made the World Tour finals, plus those Indian Wells quarterfinal points, I believe, come off the books. 
a lot for Annette Contave to defend, and she didn't do much help for herself. 25-14 and 14 overall in the year. Yes, she made the Hamburg final. Yes, she's dealt with injuries and COVID. That absolutely has to play a factor because she was great to start the year, winning St. Petersburg, finaling Doha. Injuries played a factor, slowed her roll. There's no doubt about that. But she's probably going to fall outside the top 20. You look for her this year, first-round loss, Roland Garros, second-round loss to, albeit a very much-informed Clara Tossin, but second-round loss at the Australian Open, second-round loss, Wimbledon, which points-wise don't matter, but again, she didn't advance past the second round at any major this season. She's been a top-10 player all year long. That's a disappointing season. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it for Annette Conteve, and I guess I'll transition here to winners and losers on the day. I didn't anticipate this would be how I did it, but one of my losers on the day has to be Generation Sakari. It was a rough day for the 25 to 27-year-olds on the WTA Tour, and yesterday I elaborated at length about my excitement about that crop of players 23 and younger. You know, Sabalenka, Pedosa, 24s, but they sort of count in there. The in Van Drusova, who's injured. Kennan, who's still working her way back. But, you know, Potapova, Wang Shi Yu, Fernandez, Radakanu, Goff, and Tossin, and Na- uh, Naskova, Fruvertova. You can go on and on the list of exciting, young, talented players They've quickly overshadowed that group of 25 to 27-year-olds who would traditionally be considered in their primes right now. I mean, you had Maria Sakkari, 27 years old, knocked off today in three sets, albeit again to one of those promising young talents, certainly in Wang Shiyu, but... You know, again, a 3-6-7-5-7-5 loss to uh, a player who is ranked outside the top 50 going into the event and, you know, 21 years old, hadn't, I believe, reached a third round at a slam in her career nor beaten a top 10 player. Yes, the lefty is talented and has had a great year, but to lose that match in three sets and to lose it in the fashion that she did for Sakari to make 36 unforced errors and make only 56% of her first serves. That first serve percentage has just been a struggle for her all season long. And, you know, for Maria Sakari, one of my favorite stats, her first serve win percentage has improved in each of the last seven seasons. And that first serve win percentage has continued to improve this year. It's 69.8%. It's a top 20 number in the women's game. But she's only making 57.9% of her first serves. That's outside the top 25. And it doesn't matter if your first serve is marginally more effective if you're also making it significantly less frequently. And that's the trade-off right now that has shifted in the wrong direction for Maria Sakari, who you look for her overall on the season. Sakari, 29 and 18. She's winning 62% of her matches, which will keep her inside the top 20. But does anyone think she's the number three player in the world since reaching the Australian Open round of 16? She lost second round Roland Garros, third round Wimbledon, second round U.S. Open, all to unseeded players. You know, she's made final St. Petersburg, finals Indian Wells, but that it, she, she lost first round Cincinnati, albeit to the eventual champion in Caroline Garcia. Second round Toronto, albeit to the eventual semifinalist Carolina Pliskova. The thing is, if you're going to be a top five player, you either A, have to beat all of those unseeded players at the slams, or B, you got to get a win over one of those big players. And right now, Maria Sakkari is not doing that. I think it's because the first serve has gone out of balance. And, 
you know, again, Sakura is a player who can do B, C, D, and well, but she wants to be doing plan A, which is hitting the big serve, hitting the big forehand behind it, moving forward, which she does pretty well. And credit to Wang Shiyu. The lefty took that away from her today. And again, Wang Shiyu is 38 and 21 overall on the year. She is having a career season. She, you know, you look for her against top 50 players this season. Wang Shiyu now 3-3 three and three overall on the year. She's also won her last three matches, beating Krachikova, Azarenka, and Sakari. Still, Given the fact that, again, Ashley Barty retires at the start of the year, yes, Iga has evolved as this transcendent force, but Bedosa struggled, you know, Halep has struggled at the majors and loses first round of this event, and, you know, again, Muguruza hasn't been great this year. You're looking next at players like Kudermatova and Garcia and Bencic and Keys. This was a massive opportunity. For, you know, Jabour makes a final this year. She's the one player who hasn't disappointed of this generation. But Conteve, Sakari, you know, Sakina had a big opportunity at this U.S. Open, but otherwise she's had a great year. Barbara Krachikova, who loses in three sets today to Alexandra Krunic in, again, sloppy fashion, particularly after taking the first set 6-2. And yes, Krachikova, Conteve have both struggled with injuries this year. But the scene... The WTA landscape was wide open, and I don't think you can objectively look at the WTA Tour and not say it's been a massive disappointment for each of those players. And, you know, look, Bedosa, Sabalenka, both still alive with how the draw is open for Sabalenka. I think semifinals are legitimately in the cards for her. It's a potential. Rabakina, her immediate seed, knocked out of her section to get her to round four. Now it's a tough second round match against Kanepi, but... One of Sabalenka and Bedosa, who are really more Generation Sakari than Generation Goff, Radakanu, Layla, Chin Wen. So you know what? I'm going to link them with them. One of Bedosa and Sabalenka has to make the quarterfinals, or it's just a massive disappointment this year for Generation Sakari, as I'm going to refer to them now. So keep an eye on that. That's one of the overarching narratives I think we all have to look for here uh, as we watch this 2022 U.S. Open unfold. But enough glass half empty. Let's turn to the glass half full. One of my biggest winners on day number three, Ludmilla Samsonova, who was just excellent uh, in earning another straight set victory. This time it's over Layla Fernandez, last year's finalist. Of course, you look for Samsonova. 6-3-7-6. Samsonova didn't face a break point throughout the course of this match. And Ludmilla Samsonova currently ranks second in hold percentage amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. She's holding serve 78.7% of the time. I said this in my preview yesterday of this match. For Layla Fernandez, who's still working her way back from injury. You look for Fernandez. This match against Samsonova was just her fifth match since the French Open. To have to deal with someone who hits with the sort of power and the sort of action on her ball that Samsonova does is the worst sort of player to have to acclimate back to pro tennis to if you're Leila Fernandez. So this was an extraordinarily tough draw for the number 14 seed. That said, for Samsonova to win in the fashion that she did, how can you deny she's a contender to win this title? Samsonova doesn't face a break point. And it's not as though she was overwhelmingly doing well on the first serve. She only won 55% of her first serve points. 
but she won 61% of her second serve points. You know, was 21 winners against 26 unforced errors doesn't sound great, but how many forced errors did she generate? Go watch that match back where the pace just overwhelmed Fernandez, and yeah, she got a racket on the ball, but even if she made that ball back, Samsonova was then going to be in an advantageous position. Now, I know the knock on Samsonova, who has won 12 consecutive matches. Now she wins the City Open, doesn't play Toronto or Cincinnati, but then wins Cleveland last week. Now two straight straight set victories to kick off her U.S. Open campaign. The argument against her would be, who has she beat? You know, she beat Emma Raducanu. Raducanu lost first round of the U.S. Open. She beat Fernandez, who was in the second round of this. She beat Bernarda Pera, who ended up losing first round of the U.S. Open. Kai Kanepi's alive in the second round, but she's got a really tough match against Sabalenka. You know, those are her best victories during this 12-match win streak. They're not the most overwhelmingly impressive. But go look at the fact that, A, Samsonova has dropped just two sets in those 12 victories, and B, again, with that fact, A, in mind, how she's winning these matches, just dominating on serve. She's now not faced break points in three of her 10, uh, 12 victories, and she's gone unbroken in five of her 10, uh, 12 victories. That's dominant. That's Caroline Garcia-esque, albeit against a lower level of competition, but She's doing the same thing. And when I watch Samsonova play, I just think it's extraordinarily replicable from match to match. The harder you hit the ball at her backhand, the harder that ball is coming back at you. That backhand, her more solid of the two wings. But her forehand has ridiculous amounts of action. And again, it overwhelmed the Fernandez backhand when she played it down the line. That ball got into the body of Fernandez, so she wasn't able to extend as easily on her forehand. You know, again, for Samsonova, excuse me. 30 winners against 21 unforced errors. I screwed up her stats. She won 29 of 36 first serve points. So she won 81% of her first serve points. 73% of her second serve points. Even better than the stats I mentioned earlier. I apologize. I was reading Fernandez's stats. I get excited. You listeners know that from time to time. We're going to leave it in because I don't remember exactly where it happens and it's too much effort to go search for it. But for Ludmilla Samsonova today, who, again, is number two amongst all WTA players in hold percentage, how frequently she's holding serve this year. Ten aces, 29 of 36 on first serve points. She lost 13 total points on serve throughout the course of the match. So that's in what? 11 service games. She loses 13 total points on serve. Doesn't face a break point. 30 of 21 winners to unforced errors. Now, she only converted two of her 13 break point chances, but that's all she needed in set, you know, throughout the course of this match. And again, she knocks out the seed in her section. And you look for Samsonova, who is in that Serena Williams section of the draw. She should smack Alexandra Krunich. That it's going to be like minus 500. You're going to, it's six and a half games is going to be the game spread. And then she'll face the winner of Samson, uh, of Serena and Tomjanovic. Tomjanovic doesn't have weapons to hurt Samsonova with, and that consistency won't be a problem with this version of Samsonova. Serena will be significantly flustered. A, it would be her fourth match, so just physically she's drained. B, the weapons of Samsonova would give Serena fits. Ludmilla Samsonova should reach the uh, the quarterfinals of this event. Now, will she reach the semifinals? Beat a Jabour, Kudermatova, Rogers, who are all still alive in her quarter of the draw. Those are all power players, or in Jabour's case, players who will get the ball outside of Samsonova's strike zone, break her rhythm. Those are all interesting matchups. 
But Samsonova should make the quarterfinals. The draw has opened up for her. She is one of the biggest winners on day number three of the 2022 U.S. Open. With that said, let's quickly talk about Chinese tennis and why they're one of the winners on the day. Of course, we already mentioned Wang Shiyu, who is so impressive in her three-set victory over Maria Sakri. Of course, Wang Shinyu uh, was knocked out of this event, but she played a really good first-round match in getting knocked out uh, by Linda Fruvertova, three and four, and she's had a big year at 125Ks and, you know, ITF quarterfinals here and there. But how about, A, again, Wang Shiyu, 21 years old, into the third round of the U.S. Open. Jung Chin Wen beats the number 16. Yelena Ostapenko has a really fun match against Anastasia Potapova tomorrow in round number two. And then how about the freaking precipitous rise of Yi Bing Wu, who's now 32-4 and four overall on the season. Yeah, that success started at the ITF level, but he's since won three challenger titles, comes through qualifying, reaches his first slam main draw, now into his first third round at a slam. Come from behind, five-set victory today. He ultimately earns over former SEC three-time player of the year, All-American, and now top 100 player, Nuno Borges, friend of the show for Ebing Wu, 6-7, 7-6, 4-6, 6-4, 6-4. I mean, again, Ebing Wu, former junior U.S. Open champion who dealt with a ton of injuries, wasn't sure if he was going to be able to come back. He's now up to number 129 in the live rankings. That's on, you know, with three months of ITF success propelling that ranking. He's got six free months still to play with. He should be a top 100 player. And again, 22 years old, he's really only played one full year of pro tennis, and he's a top 100 player. It speaks to the 22-year-old's talent, and the 22-year-old is just so rock solid across the board. And you know, you look for Ebing Wu, who again five-set win today over Nuno Borges, 59 winners, yes, against 81 unforced errors. But the big thing was that he was willing to dictate, and he was patient in doing so because Borges was afraid to test Ebing Wu in the outer thirds. Ebing Wu rock solid off of both wings, can generate pace on his forehand, almost comes through the ball a little bit flatter. I don't want to say it's Karatsev-esque. I'm blanking on who I think his forehand looks like. Hopefully it will come back to me here, but there is a comparison in my head that I can see I just can't think of. But he can generate pace off that forehand wing with ease. He's extraordinarily quick. So if you do try to open things up in the outer third, you better hit with depth. Otherwise, he's beating you to the spot, taking the ball early on the rise, and can generate cross-court depth on his backhand, can generate with that ball down the line. There's just no discernible or definitive weakness in the game of Yi Bingu. Yeah, the second serve's a little bit attackable, but again, you can say that about anyone, let alone any 22-year-old in the professional game. He was just relentless. And credit to Nuno Borges, who played extraordinarily well in this match. 32 winners against 55 unforced errors. But again, why is that number like that? Because he was forcing Yi Bing Wu to come up with the goods. I also thought Nuno's serve plus one combination is a, is a top 50 sort of weapon. Just his ability to go inside out with that plus one forehand to have you thinking he's going to do that because that's his best ball. Then he opens up with the inside in and he hits that extraordinarily efficient as well. He's comfortable moving forward, snaps his overheads confidently, and just continues to attack. And 
is willing to go from that plus one style to grind things out. And that's what he did. He grinded back into that fifth set to get the break back for four all. But Ibeng Wu just too relentless from the center of the court. I know 81 unforced errors, but he was patient in this five-set match, and again, up to number 129, and you look, whether it's Yibing Wu, who's currently sitting at a career high, Jijin Zhang, the 25-year-old who's sitting at a new career high, number 120 in the rankings, there's never been a top 100 player in Chinese men tennis. Jijin Zhang, Yibing Wu, both on the precipice of doing just that, and then again, on the women's side, you have three players aged 21 or younger, in Jung Chin Wen, who's the third highest ranked teenager in the world, she's currently 40 in the live rankings. You have Wang Shiyu, who's 21 years old, currently 59 in the rankings. Wang Shinyu, 20 years old, currently 76 in the live rankings. Chinese tennis and the W made a huge investment in the WTA. And obviously with their treatment of uh, Peng Shui, who we have still not heard from, and it is still one of the biggest stories in all of sport, let alone all of tennis. That investment is paying dividends, though. It's undeniable in looking at these players rise up the rankings. And can you separate the players from the federation that supports them? That's a question every fan has to answer on their own. You can't deny it if you've been watching tennis. There are a plethora of Chinese players on the rise right now in both the men's and women's games. Thus, they are one of the biggest winners of day number four. I know uh, day number three, excuse me. I know we've been a bit women centric thus far in the show, and there are 16 men's singles matches I want to touch on, but I want to do a full segment and just lock in on those men's matches. So I want to move next to my final winner on the day before we get to that men's singles storyline and how these seeds keep surviving. Let's talk about the American women who had a pretty good day overall. Obviously, you have a couple of seeds, and I believe four American women seeded were in play today. I believe each of them ultimately end up earning victories. Now, again, certainly Coco Goff was the most impressive, in my opinion, of the bunch. Goff earning a hard-fought straight-set victory. She goes 2-6 and six over Elena Gabriela Russa. Coco Goff has quietly been one of the five most consistent players on the WTA Tour this season, and she's currently fifth in the points race. She's sitting at number 10, which is a new career high in the live rankings. You look for Coco Goff now overall this season. Obviously, that French Open final, her definitive run on the year, but she's 32-16 and 16 overall this season. Her first round losses, Australian Open, which... That was a tough one to Wang Chung, but first month of the season, you can maybe give it a little bit of a pass. She loses first round to Pagula in Dubai. No shame in that loss. Tough loss first round indoors, Stuttgart to Kasakina, but I don't hold that completely against her. And then retired, obviously, after rolling her ankle in Cincinnati, so you don't count that match. She lost two first round matches this season. Three first round matches, excuse me. I'm not counting the Pagula one. Three first round matches this season in 17 total events. That's what a top 20 player does. Of course, you look for her. Why is she top 10? Well, she made a freaking French Open final beating exactly whom she's supposed to beat. And that's been the big thing for Coco Goff this season. She's 28 and 7 against players ranked outside the top 20. Two of those players ranked outside the top 20 losses were to Simona Halep, who's obviously in the top 10 now. So she's 28 and 5 against opponents ranked outside the top 20 this season. The three of those losses, Buzkova, Anisimova, Keys, you can make the argument have been top 20 players or better. Oh, by the way, the other one, Daria Kasakina. So three of those losses 
to players who were ranked outside the top 20 are now to players ranked inside the top 10. So 28 and 4 overall against players currently ranked outside the top 20. I mean, come on now. That's beating who you're supposed to beat. That's how you become a top 20 player. And that's exactly what Coco Goff did today in a 2-6 and six win over Elena Gabriela Russo. She went 77% of her first serve points converted. Four of five break point chances was just efficient. You know, Russo didn't really have a weapon to expose the Goff forehand with. Good victory for Coco Goff. You look for her in the draw now. Blockbuster. Round three matchup, but she's going to take on number 20 seed Madison Keys. And look, Keys was a survivor today. As Madison Keys ultimately able to escape with a 7-6 in the third victory against Camilla Georgie. Georgie led 5-2, though, in that third set. Now, it was only a single break of serve, but credit to Madison Keys, who... You know, again, this was power tennis at its finest. If there were more than 10 rallies over 10 shots, you're lying if you say that's the fact. But Keys was relentless, and she kept swinging. And whenever she got a look at a second serve, she won 24 of 44 points on the second serve return. That was the biggest difference in the matches. Keys won 63% of her own second serve points. Keys also fought off 12 of the 16 break points she faced. I believe eight of those 12 break points were fought off with big first serves. 30 winners against 38 unforced errors, but A, that's not including forced errors, and B, Georgie, 47 unforced errors in this match against just 18 winners. She was feeling the pressure of Madison Keys' power, and of course, that's what Madison Keys does. She hasn't won a slam, so she's not an official member, but she ultimately, of course, has weekend privileges to all aspects of Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club, and of course, we all remember Madison Keys was the third best player through the first month of the 2022 season. Madison Keys reaching the semifinals of the Australian Open earlier this year with her making the semifinals in Cincinnati as well. Again, Keys and Goff are two of your 10 top contenders for this 2022 U.S. Open. The odds say as much. The percentages say as much. It's a blockbuster round three matchup between two Americans that you know, again, it's gonna it's not gonna be the night match on Arthur Ashe because Serena Williams is gonna be the night match, but it's gonna be probably the day match on Arthur Matt Ashe or honestly, would people object to there being a double women's night session on day number five if match number one is Serena and versus whomever she's playing, Serena versus Tomjanovich, and match number two is Goff and Keys? I don't think there would be. But I'll leave it to you, our Cracked Rackets audience, to let me know. I'll tweet something out, and all of you can respond if you are interested at A.L. Gruskin. That said, again, Goff, Keys, Blockbuster. As of right now, Coco Goff, a 58.4% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Certainly, Madison Keys got pushed physically in her round two matchup. But, yeah, we're all looking forward to that one. In terms of the other American women, shout out to Shelby Rogers, rounding her way into form. Rogers, dangerous when she plays her best. Obviously beat Ashley Barty at this event either last year, two years ago, whenever it was at this point. But you look for Shelby Rogers, a 5 and one win over Kuzmova and then shout out to Ali Risk survives in three sets another 7-6 in the third American winner she knocks out Kami Osorio 6-4-6-7-7-6 Kami was up a break in the third set but Risk stayed relentless and again her aggressive tennis on this surface the ball 
how her ball stays low and flies through these U.S. Open courts, it's just going to give a lot of opponents trouble. And I was really impressed with Osorio's, A, willingness to step up and be aggressive early in rallies, but B, the physicality. It's just real uh, for the former world junior number one. She's going to be in the mix moving forward. But again, good place for the American women to be. Final 32 in the field on the bottom half of the draw. And you've got Shelby still alive, Risk still alive, Goff still alive, and Keys still alive. You know, Risk is taking on Wang Shiyu. She'll be the favorite in that match. Um, you look for Serena. Oh, I didn't even mention Serena, by the way. Five American women still alive. And Serena's probably a, a favorite, maybe? No. I mean, she might be a favorite. She probably shouldn't be against Tom Janovic. Uh, you've got, again, Rogers taking on Jabour. That's a tough run. Amritaj against Wang Shiyu. And then Goff against Keys. Certainly top half of the draw. Collins uh, still alive. Pagula, Lauren Davis, Sloan Stevens still alive. So plenty of Americans to watch if you're headed to the opening weekend of action in New York on the women's side. I do think the American winners, again, five winners for the American women on day number three. How can they not be one of the biggest winners on the day? But with that in mind, let's switch gears and talk about the men's action on day number four. There were a, was a bunch of it, a ton of seeds surviving in serious tests here early in the slam. Let's start with one of the guys who has thrived this summer. And I'm going a bit out of order. I know I haven't talked about Draper versus FA, which is one of the biggest upset. I realized as I was saying that, but I felt pretty good about that segue. Of course, I've now ruined it. That said, let's start with Tommy Paul, who was one of my other favorite matches of the day. Tommy Paul has been one of the superstars, certainly, of this 2022 summer, whether it was him during the uh, grass court season making back-to-back quarterfinals, Queens Club Eastbourne parlaying that into a round of 16 at Wimbledon. Of course, he quartered in Canada before getting knocked out round of 32 in Cincinnati, quartered in Atlanta as well for what it's worth. Tommy's put himself in a new career high, uh, a new position, career high number 31 a week ago. Of course, he's up to a new career high number 26 after this five-set victory over Sebi Korda. Anyone who's watched Tommy Paul dating back to his junior French Open championship uh, men's singles title, his U.S. Open junior boys final subsequently, or all of his successful runs in the Challenger Tour, or even early in his career in Atlanta, if you can remember back, I believe that was 2018, Tommy's always had the athleticism. He's always shown he is certainly from an athletic perspective, a professional tennis player because, you know, again, his flute is you're going to see in and out of corners. He can flash plus power. He's solid off of both wings. The biggest difference for him has been, A, the discipline he's shown from start to finish in matches because his mind used to wander when he was younger, and B, it says forehand has turned into a weapon. And just the plethora of ways Tommy can hurt you now because that forehand has gotten good enough where plan A, hit the big first serve, hit the big forehand behind it, try to move forward to the net. Plan A is now a legitimate top 30 plan for Tommy. And the key is now plans B, C, and D, which he has always thrived with, the improvisational skills, the defensive skills, tracking down that extra ball, they're luxuries now. They're not the necessities in his game they once were. And look, for Tommy, he could just hurt Sebi Korda in more ways from start to finish in this match than the inverse. And look, Korda came out awful 
in set number one. I'm throwing away the first set, which Tommy won with a bagel. Corda couldn't make a thing. Sets two and three, you saw why Seppi Corda is going to break the top 10 of the ATP Tour someday. It didn't matter what Tommy threw at him. Seppi was the more powerful player, and he could match Tommy's physicality. His ability to step into the ball, take the backhand early on the rise, cross court down the line, didn't matter. He could hit winners both ways. Seppi was awesome. And, you know, as he started dictating with the backhand, he had Tommy constantly on the run. The unforced errors started to pile up. And again, Sebi was in control in sets two and three. But Tommy never, you know, Tommy never slowed down. Tommy never, you know, wavered. He continued to attack behind his first serve. And throughout the course of the match, he won 72% of his first serve points. He continued to move forward. And Tommy, 22 of 30 at the net in this match. He just continued to try and execute his game plan and understand, okay, I understand Sebi is having a moment right now. He's better at neutral, turning, you know, generating offense easily from the baseline than I am, but I'm still pretty good at generating offense, and I shouldn't shy away from those opportunities. Tommy never shied away. He was better at absorbing the first blow of Korda and extending points than Korda was alternatively, and again, Tommy could just do more things. Tommy played like the, what, 25-year-old that he is, and Sebi Korda looked like the 22-year-old from, you know, throughout by the end of the match. And from that, I mean, from an experience perspective, from a discipline on a point-by-point perspective, Tommy was just relentless. And that's defined his rise over these past three months is his ability to do a little bit of everything mixed in with the improvements of the fundamentals, of the serve, of the plus one. And you look for Tommy's holding 80.3% of the time, which is below the top 50 average of 20. 82%, but it's a career high for Tommy this season. He's also breaking serve 24.2% of the time, a career high and above the average of top 25 players. He's 17th in break percentage amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour. Again, is he elite at any one thing right now? Other than his athleticism and movement, probably not, but he's really good at everything. And look, Sebi Korda played well today. We talked about it with him. You can go hear our conversation on the Cracked Interviews podcast. This year was a building year. He's lifting weights for the first time. He's playing a full season at the tour level, just accumulating data points here. I believe this year was the first year he got a win at the U.S. Open in his career. Speaks to still how early it is for the 22-year-old American. He didn't play poorly. Tommy just beat him down the home stretch. And Sebi Corda needs to get better. You know, again, physically just be a little bit more consistent. Be able to, you know, not drop a six-love set and just find yourself in such a quick deficit when plan A is not working early on in the match. Those are things that happen early in your career. So credit to Tommy Paul. Again, he's one of the seeds who managed to survive on the day. Five-set victory for him ultimately over Sebi Corda. I want to get through the seeds, and then I'll get to the upset, I promised, because Cracked Rackets listeners have heard a lot about Jack Draper of late, so we'll save that nugget for the end. The other seeds who were able to survive on the day, Casper Ruud. Took him a while, but once he found the read on Tim Van Reithoven's 
serve. He looked comfortable down the home stretch of the match. Kasparud ultimately a 6-7-6-4-6-4-6-4 victory. He was broken once in the match, but Kasper won 82% of his first serve points. 29 winners against 35 unforced errors. He was 18 of 23 at the net. Took it whenever he could against Van Rijthoven. Forced Van Rijthoven to have to create while on the run, which with his big backswings on this surface is a little tougher for him to do. Credit to TVR. 20 aces, went for his first serves, nine double faults, went for those second serves as well. Didn't make enough first serves to beat down the efficiency of Kasparud. And again, couldn't create enough defensively. He'll have to continue to work on that. But certainly, he has the weapons of a top 50 player, which you just can't say all of that about. Then again, credit to Rude for finding his rhythm and ultimately advancing in a comfortable four sets to set up a really fun matchup between he and Tommy Paul. They've played a couple of times at slams. Again, that's a fun one to keep your eye on in round number three, one of many certain Certainly, we have set up in terms of, again, the other seeds who survived on the day. Nick Kyrgios got tested. Ultimately, a four-set win over Benjamin Bonzi, 7-6-6-4-4-6-6-4. Got the break when he needed it to close the match. First serve, forehand, still locked in from an efficiency standpoint. He's able to dial up that first serve, serve and volley seemingly whenever his back is against the wall. Credit to Bonzi, who, again, no discernible weakness, didn't give Nick anything easy. But that's why this was a good test for Nick, because he was pushed and ultimately passed that test. A couple other seeds pushed. Berrettini was bad today against Hugo Grenier, ultimately earning a 2-6-6-1-7-6-7-6 victory. He had a million breakpoints in set number four, and yet, to Jimmy Arias's credit, who pointed it out in his commentary of the match, Berrettini refused to step up and hit the forehand return on the rise. He was so stubborn in trying to prove, no, my backhand return's going to work in this match. It wasn't, and he was flopping it even against like 70-mile-per-hour serves. That said, he found enough serves, enough first forehand, Again, advances in four tight sets. He continues. Still hasn't lost to a player outside the top 100 at a hardcourt slam since 2018 when he was in Australian Open qualifying. In an era of of uncertainty, Matteo Berrettini has been a sure thing early in slams. And you just feel like the more comfortable he gets, the more dangerous he becomes as much as that backhand has been a struggle for him through his first two matches, to be honest. But credit to him. Credit to Carreño Busta. Four-set win over the always tricky Sasha Bublik. Alex Diemenauer just continues to roll along. Four-set win over Christian Green, who, again, made every point tricky. No two points look the same. But if you don't have something to relentlessly hurt Diemenauer with, you're just not going to beat him in a three out of five hard court match your other seed to win on the day Karen Hatchinoff who did Karen Hatchinoff things 6-3-6-3-5-7-6-4 victory he ultimately advances for Hatchinoff it's his 16th third round at a grand slam and I believe 23 total main draws now he's only made two quarterfinals in his career at the slams which considering he's been in 16 third rounds you feel like that's a pretty tough conversion rate at the same time If you wanted to define what I view as a tier three player, which is just like a guy who's going to perennially be in the mix, Karen Hatchinov is either the poster boy of tier number four or your poster boy of tier three, depending on how you want to look at it. I think he's tier three because I think he can flirt with the top 10 players on his best day. He doesn't do it nearly consistent enough, and that's why he might almost fall into tier number four. 
But Karen Hatchinoff's just always in the mix come the big stages. And he very infrequently nowadays gets through in those big stages, but he's always in the mix. And getting to the dance floor is half the battle. And Karen Hatchinoff gets to the dance floor. The size, the physicality, it just works in three out of five sets. Again, a 16th third round for Hatchinoff in his career. With that said, let's get into the other results. Talk about the upsets. Talk about the women's seeds we've yet to touch on on the men's side. I mean, if you haven't already, it's time to start drinking the Jack Draper Kool-Aid. You look for Jack Draper now, a remarkable 42-13 and 13 overall on the year, into his first Grand Slam third round, into the top 50, solid, uh, solidly up to number 46 in the live rankings. New career high for the 20-year-old Brit who is just everything you would want out of a young tennis prospect. Six foot three, four, tall, lefty, holds serve over 82% of the time. He's going to be an above average server as he continues to fill out his frame, gain miles per hour on that serve, become more efficient in his plus one play, which is already extraordinarily efficient. You look for Draper, 12 of 15 at the net against FAA today, 29 winners against 17 unforced errors, converted three of 10 breakpoint chances, but more importantly, wasn't broken. In a 6-4-6-4-6-4 victory over the number six seed. And you look for Draper, quarterfinals in Canada at coming through qualifying. He beats Tsitsipas there. Now he beats FAA here, three out of five sets, straight sets in New York. Obviously has made quarterfinals on grass courts before. It has been frisky over at Wimbledon in some big matches. Took that opening set off of Djokovic back in 2021. He's just the real deal. 20 years old, you go 42 and 13, you win 76% of your matches, you go, you know, 15 and 8 at the tour level this year, and he's 20 years old, and he's winning two-thirds of his tour level matches, you know the two-thirds rule here at Cracked Rackets, you look for Draper again, 46 in the live rankings, he's also 39th in the points race, you look at the players under 21 years old on the ATP tour, Alcaraz is the highest. He's, you know, sinner just age out of this, but Alcaraz is the highest. Then Musetti. Then, oh no, this is in the points race. Excuse me. You look at the players in the live rankings. Alcaraz is the highest. Then Musetti at 29. Runa at 30. Draper at 46. Fourth highest ranked under 21 player in the world. Now you look at the highest ranked 21 and under players. He's sixth on that list. You had Sinners ahead of him. Sebi Baez is ahead of him. That's it. Draper has surpassed the Brooksby's, surpassed the Nakashima's, the, you know, Yuri Lachechka's, guys who may have run out ahead of him a little bit earlier, the, you know, Juan Manuel Sarundalo's. And the tall lefties found his rhythm physically. You know, again, he was able to absorb first blows of Felix. Felix tonight, statistics were not kind for Felix. Ogier Aliasim overall on the night. You look for Felix. 41 unforced errors against 27 winners. Obviously a tough night for the number six seed who won only 48% of his second serve points as well. That was 19 of 23 when moving forward. You know, that said... Draper hits an incredible on-the-run backhand cross-court pass to solidify the break in round number three. And, you know, Draper was able to extend enough rallies. He generates such easy depth on his backhand. That's what makes him a special prospect because a lot of people have good serves, good forehands. But it's the consistency of his backhand to set everything else up and then do some damage on its own. That's what makes him a special young prospect. Again, it's just another in a laundry list of now early 
successful moments for Jack Draper, who obviously opens up the draw for himself. Now Draper going to take on Hatchinov in that third round. That's a fascinating one because on paper, it's an opportunity for Hatchinov. That said, Draper certainly has been in better form of late of the two players. You look for Felix, going to hurt him, no doubt, in the rankings. Felix, who is defending big points at this year's U.S. Open, down to 12th now in the live rankings. You look for Felix overall on the season. He's now 37 and 21. Things sounded so promising. Quarterfinals Australia wins his first title in Rotterdam, follows that up the next week with a final in Marseille. You look for him since that run. Hasn't made a final since. Has only made one semifinal. It came in the net, or two semifinals. Los Cabos and the Netherlands. Now, he has a ton of quarterfinals this season. You look for Felix. He's made 12 total quarterfinals and 21 total events. It's a damn good season for Felix Ogier Aliasim, who, by the way, you look overall in the points race. Felix, even with this loss, currently sitting uh, right now at sixth in the points race. Yes, it was a disappointing year for Felix at the slams outside of uh, after Roland Garros for him to lose first round Wimbledon to Cressy, lose second round to Draper. But let's keep perspective. Let's not overreact. Felix Ogier-Aliassime got better this year at a ton of different things. And, you know, the numbers indicate as much. The hold percentage for him, 84%. That's a career high and a fifth consecutive year of improvement. The break percentage, 20.5%. Still outside the top 30 players, but above his career average. So Felix continues to get better this year. He just was another piece in you know in the way of what is this precipitous rise of 20 year old Jack Draper with that said your other seed upset on the day Botic Vanderson Schkulp four set knocked out by quarantine Mute the lefty just did a great job of making things physical and wearing down the clearly fatigued Botic who earned a tough fought five set victory in round number one with that said eight seeds eliminated on the men's side so far Tsitsipas for its RBA, surprising. Felix certainly as well, although not given the context of his loss being to Jack Draper. On the women's side, I mentioned the disappointment. Conteve, Sakari, Fernandez, Krachikova all knocked out today. 13 seeds eliminated on the women's side with half of round number two still to go. And, you know, Conteve, Sakari, Halep, Kasakina, four top 10 seeds, five out of the top 11, already knocked out. Speaks to the parody. We see in the women's game. That said, you do have, you know, again, uh, some women's seed who looks pretty solid overall. Caroline Garcia has dropped 10 total games in two matches. The Cincinnati champ, a 3-1 win over Kalinskaya. Her serve, her forehand, they work. Uh, Own Jabour, 5-2 over Elizabeth Mandelik. She got into her playbook, made the match physical. Still not serving great, but playing better with every passing match. And she's got some time, obviously, to work her way into Formula. Who's up next? Shelby Rogers, I believe, uh, for her. I don't actually think that's the easiest sledding, I suppose. Uh, for Onjabor, who does indeed next up have Shelby Rogers. So she's going to have to serve a little bit better, in my opinion, as she moves forward uh, in this draw. Veronica Kudermatova serving great. 
Top 10 server this year, Kunamatova quietly up to number 9 in the points race. Currently a new career high, number 12 in the live ranking. She earned a 2-3 and three win. Just, you know, Zanevska wasn't able to hurt her easily. The serve for Zanevska set up and gave Kudermatova enough opportunities to be aggressive. And she's able to sustain that aggression because she was playing from ahead and using her serve to be the front runner. Uh, ultimately, she advances in straight sets. And then Shui Jung, uh, excuse me, Jung Shui, uh, former world number one golf and Rebecca Marino, your other straight set winners. On the men's side, shout out to Andy Murray, was in command in sets two, three, and four after dropping set number one. He served, I believe, for that opening set, but ultimately a four-set win over talented young American Amelia Nava. But hey, Murray versus Berrettini, if you're asking me who played better today, the answer was probably Andy Murray, but neither, you know, again, and Andy says he's feeling fit. He's always been good against big servers because he is such a good returner. That's a fascinating match. And then JJ Wolf versus Nick Kyrgios is just a hard hitting match. That's going to be exciting in round number three. Wolf rallying for a four set win after dropping the opener against Alejandro Tabilo. You look for JJ Wolf up to new career high, number 70, back where he should be after all the injuries, those serve that forehand. It belongs in the ATP Top 100. With that said, there are still two matches being played as I'm recording this podcast now. Bianca Andreescu took a 6-2 opening set over Beatrice Haddad Maya, and we said over on the GSP Ace of the Day segment and in our preview podcast, Andrescu, the winner of Andrescu Haddad Maya is a contender for me to win the 2022 U.S. Open, just straight up. And so if Andrescu beats Haddad Maya, she's playing that well. She has a day in between matches to rest up. That is a notable result happening right now, and we'll talk about it more tomorrow should it be dramatic. And then Daniil Medvedev does earn the first straight set victory for a seed on the day. He goes through in straights over Arthur Rind. Kanesh, that it are those are excuse me your day three results now day four extensively previewed on the GSP Ace of the Day segment is more women's centric than men's in my opinion in terms of the appealing matches I have ten matches I could watch easily on the women's side six matches that I've noted of particular importance on the men's side for the women I mean Azarenka Kostyuk Sviantek Stevens Pliskova Buzkova Potapova, Chinwen, Muguruza, Fruvertova, Sabalenka, Kanepi is like an undercard. I mean, come on, all six of those matches, easy to watch. Kavitova, Kalnina, Pagula, Sasnovich, Benchich, Kirstea, Korne, Sinyakova. I'm in on all of them. On the men's side, I would say George Brooksby is probably my second favorite match on the day overall. Dimitrov Nakashima would be top five, but then you're nerding out a bit. Sinner Eubanks, Herkats Ivashka, Kesmenovic Gasquet, and then Rafa because he's Rafa against Fodnini. Again, I like the women's slate of matches better than the men's, but overall it should be another exciting day. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to break down all of day four's action. If you've missed anything, you can catch up on it all though. On our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15 for the immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at crackrackets or at AL Gruskin. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 